the main point to make during the intro, because I think everything else is just going to be me asking questions when you explain <laughs> difficult concepts like ad, ad hoc post factorum postpartum or something. I'd like to say my um, grasp of Latin is not the greatest, but I think that was not entirely correct. Hello and welcome once again to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we answer every single question with It Is Complicated, including the name of the podcast because it is complicated. Hello, Dr. J. Hello, Josephine. How are you surviving this weather? With aplomb. No, I'm not. With the opposite of whatever an aplomb is. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm surviving the weather with that. And lots uh, of ice and cold beverages. Yeah. I reached the point today where a work call finished and I proudly announced, woohoo, I can take all of my clothes off now. <laughs> <laughs> and the wonderful thing about podcasts is it's an audio, audible medium, audi- audio medium, an aural medium, oral, oral, oral. We, we did this know. once before. We've talked about this before. Aural and audio. Anyway, fuck. Y- you can hear it with your ear holes uh, and you can't see it with your eye holes. Uh, it means that we could, in fact, be naked right now, and you wouldn't know, dear listener. You'd have to just take our word for it. Wouldn't you? Anyone who's been in London in this kind of weather knows that it is absolutely the worst mm. because there is no air movement. It is just hot and still and sticky and deathly. I do remember it. I remember it not fondly. No. That way. I'm very yeah. glad and lucky to be in the little, the little haven that I'm in right now where I can see green outside my window. It's exciting. Maybe for, I should introduce myself. Yes, I was going to say, for the delight of our listeners, not viewers. <laughs> and one day you can maybe see us do this on a video. That might be amusing. But in the meantime, Jay, could you describe yourself in some way for those people who can't see you right now? I'm Dr. Jay. I gave myself the job title, Harbinger of Change. And I'm lucky to work at a software consultancy called ThoughtWorks. I also, I got to give myself the gender transgressive, non-binary, genderqueer. Yes, it's official. Yes, I have a statutory declaration to that effect. What else am I? I'm a troublemaker, as if you couldn't tell already, and a hashtag queer nuisance because branding. I'm currently sitting in a fluorescent sports bra with a skulls scarf that is soaked in water wrapped around my neck. That's what Josephine can see. I do have pants on. That's all that, that I'll say. That I can't see. I'm going to stand up because they match. See, look. Oh, and they, they do were, match uh, the back. They do. They did. They matched very well. I was mm-hmm. impressed by the hue. The hue. Yes. So, Josephine, do you want to tell us more about yourself and describe yourself for the listener's delectation? I'm currently wearing not very much, but I'm also an <laughs> independent scholar, activist, and artist who likes to share, well... Her, oh fuck it, her insecurities upon the stage and blast them upon the internet in visual art form. I think of myself as a queer without portfolio because unemployment. We actually had a topic planned for today. I know, it's unprecedented. So one of the things about the topic is that there's a lot of discourse and argument. And rather than getting into the details of the discourse and argument, because as trans and non-binary people, it often feels like you're literally arguing for your existence. And that makes it very difficult to understand the way the discourse goes. So we wanted to pull it away from that emotional beastie and bring it back to the way that people argue. And 
maybe even think about the ways that we can engage or disrupt these kinds of discourses because, well, I'm always about being disruptive because troublemaker and hashtag queer nuisance, they go low, I go weird. But Josephine, you seem to have a much better grasp of the ways that people are structuring these arguments. Oh, I'm glad you think so. To mirror some of what Jay just said, this is very, very emotive and makes one feel shit. But I have a background in philosophy, looking at the ways in which people make arguments specifically, the format that they create, the way that they form their assumptions, the way they form their axioms, the way they form their conclusions, can tell you a great deal about who they are, how they argue, why they seem convincing, and how to break down their argument. And almost always when you're breaking down the argument, you're not trying to change the opinion of the person you're arguing against, but anybody else who happens to be watching. So if I'm fighting with, say, a British author who writes poorly children's books and decides one day that they hate trans people, I could argue with her with the intention of trying to change her mind. This is likely to lead to, one, her not changing her mind, two, being dogpiled on Twitter, and three, continuing to be upset. Or, for me personally, I can follow the excellent example of certain theorists who I adore, who are very, very good at breaking down how people make arguments. So in that particular case, there's a wonderful author that I'm going to draw on a lot when we talk about this, a trans woman called Julia Serrano, who wrote a book called Whipping Girl, which was about the sort of theoretical positioning of trans women within certain discourses and politics. It's more specifically saying we were the theoretical scapegoats for any number of political activists, theorists who try to make certain arguments in that we become a, you know, a pawn in that particular game. And she also has a background in sort of biology and I think genetics, which makes her particularly good at answering these things. So she can, with all theory, respond to anyone on the basis of fact. But what she has also done is create a series of essays and guides effectively on how transphobes make those arguments specifically, because she, I think, is very aware of that the construction of the argument is what really you need to fight. Mm. Because sometimes these people can sound incredibly convincing. And it's not because they have facts, because they don't. So today we thought we would talk about the notion of debate. Why are we constantly being asked to debate? And that's something I see online a lot, which is like trans person says, hi, I'd like to be alive. Another person says, no, I don't think trans people exist. And you say, yeah, that's kind of upsetting. And I do. And they say, well, why won't you debate me? Or you have the UK Equalities Minister who's basically come in and done the, there's nice people on both sides and asked everyone, can we just not get along and have a decent conversation? And it's like, uh, yes. but then there's also people like myself who enter these arguments online and just basically write transphobia is beige polyester <laughs> because go weird and break up their arguments. But if Josephine, if you've got better ways of busting up these arguments and appearing to enter the discourse, but able to break it, that's where I would like to be. I think your expression of when they go low, we go weird sometimes is the best option. Honestly, I think it is an actually a really good philosophical way to argue because the truth is you aren't going to win on the merits of the discussion because they're not going to let you. You'll see this often. It's sort of the disingenuous question. 
that's sort of one of the common tropes of someone who's going to do this. So for example, I'm, I'm going to use Twitter as the main example here. I'm sorry. You can see these arguments particularly effectively there because they pop up so regularly that they are very easy to isolate. So for example, you might say something like, oh, great, good news. Um, the law for trans self-identification seems to be going forward. I'm really excited about this. It makes a lot of difference to me. Someone will then come onto your feed and say, please define woman. The technique of asking that question in trolling circles is known as the polite walrus. Oh, tell me about this. It's basically, you just go in and you just ask seemingly polite questions because you can then get angry when they don't respond. So please define woman for me. Or please, why do you feel this need to call me sis? Ah, the William Shatner. (laughs) And you can sometimes have it when you hold a debate in person. Mm. You'll have that person who stands up and basically asks the panel a blindingly obvious question that drives people into absolute apoplexy because it means, A, they're being disingenuous, but also they're taking up oxygen and space within the argument. So... That's the polite walrus. There's a chance I'll come to you with a Latin phrase for something that has a really good descriptive terminology now in troll culture, because yes, that is effectively it. The disingenuous question that is there to derail your argument or to put you into a discussion that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic at hand, the traditional straw man argument, you know, or, you know, they're going to start talking about you as a person, the ad hominem, all these things have phrases, but I love the polite walrus because that is exactly it. You cannot defeat the polite walrus with facts. It doesn't matter how right you are, their response will be something that has nothing to do with facts. And you have to know that going into that discourse. Now, you can then make your choice. Do I enter into that discourse at all? In this particular case, going weird might be perfect. (laughs) Because their argument, the the polite walrus, is setting up a script. What they want is a response or non-response. Either one they can work with. So if you respond with facts, they will dispute your facts and call you a name. So they move from sort of like the polite walrus, if you will, Mm -hmm. to the, they'll usually go to the straw man. Mm -hmm or they'll ad hominem you. Usually they'll go after your character. Yeah. They'll say, oh, that's the kind of thing a wishy-washy socialist, gendery, wibbly-wobbly person would say. And then they might do a, a whataboutism. Mm-hmm. And they'll go to what about so-and-so and so-and-so. Like your definition of woman would allow people into the toilets to hurt people because that never happens now. And that's those argument styles. I mean, you know, there's a lot to be said for confidence in argument. If you're looking at mm. sort of theory of public debates between sort of political figures and stuff like that, it's so much more about getting a soundbite in and appearing confident and appearing knowledgeable than actually having any knowledge, which is why the the kinds of things like the polite walrus are presented as if their question is from a place of genuine intellectual curiosity, as opposed to being, you know, pretty much not. I mean, there's no Mm -hmm. intellectual curiosity there at all. They want to make a point and they want to make it in such a way as to be somewhat convincing. But the funny thing is, I think the target of people who do that isn't necessarily you. The troll action is to bait the person that they're talking to, to sort of get them to react badly. They mm-hmm. know that you're going to react badly to that question. Or if you react at all, if you do it honestly, if you say, well, my gender is an interesting topic that is socioculturally constructed on the basis of biological reality, that is not understood in a significant way, but is multiple. That might be an answer. It's not necessarily mine, but it's an answer. 
they will then respond with something that's very, very negative and supposed to draw you into a discussion of, oh, so bodies don't matter then. And women being attacked in the street by not trans people is something you believe in. And I'm sure that's who you are as a person, ad hominem, ad hominem. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to convince you because they know they can't. But they are trying to convince someone who might be watching. They're also trying to make you appear unreasonable. Yes. Because we, as the yeah. people who are constantly under attack, we will go back strong, yes. which has been one of the reasons that I've had to learn to go back weird. So I'm loving this because we're essentially pulling apart a Twitter discussion that can happen at any point in time. This is then helping anyone who's facing that kind of response think of ways of engaging or disengaging or weirding Yes. what happens next. Well, I think that the weirding part is really useful because, I mean, you may think of it as something that's funny. I think of it as a genuinely useful argumentative tactic because the thing is they want to create a script. As you likely say, if you get in mad at them, they're going to point to them and go, oh, look at the angry non-binary person that I don't even, don't even believe exists. And then what they'll do is they'll copy and paste your thing and then put them onto their notice board or onto their own Twitter trying to convince other people because they know they can't convince you. So it's not a genuine debate they're looking for. So when they say, why don't you debate me? It's like, because you don't want to debate. Mm. You want to shout at me. You want me to react in such a way as that you can then use me for your political argument. So going weird breaks the script. There's a script they're looking for. They either want you not to respond or to respond a certain way. If you break the script, if you break their code, they don't know what to do. And there are certain things that they can't argue against. So you'll notice, for example, that transphobic people will pick their targets carefully. If someone is making an argument that's far too sympathetic, they'll ignore it entirely. Very rarely someone will go on there and start causing trouble. If it's a positive story of a political change or a legal change, they'll definitely go into that one because they don't think that's sympathetic. They think that's a right you're stealing away from them. That's a discourse where they can come in and say, define woman as, as a person who menstruates. Of course, leaving out non-binary people, leaving out trans men, leaving out cis women who don't menstruate. You know, those are facts. I was listening to the advert for a podcast of a woman who was born without a uterus. I just wanted to grab that clip somehow and just put it up everywhere on woman born without a uterus. It happens and it's fine. And it's one of the natural problems. And posting that is useful because you might post it to someone who might really want to know. So the target audience is somebody who might actually be genuinely interested. Mm -hmm. The thing is you can never use that as an argument against polite walrus. No, God, no. They will have a response to that. But if you go back to polite walrus with, as you rightly said, sort of like gender dysphoria is ever so beige, baby. (laughs) they might go what and you go yeah what exactly and uh yeah no there is no response to that yeah (laughs) so you know it's like um you are odd (laughs) unfortunately of course there are other ways of doing this people appear to be genuinely wishing debate and using certain dubious sources or using people who you know what is it oh there's a wonderful phrase for this i have forgotten what it is you claim to an authority and by claiming to an authority it must be true there's a Latin phrase for this. Josephine of the future here. Josephine of the past was thinking of argumentum ad vericundium, or the appeal to authority, or in this specific case, appeal to false authority. Okay, so unfortunately, that author that we don't want to mention, very recently, she cited a source that was a doctor so-and-so 
So she said, look, psychoanalysis believes this. This particular psychoanalyst is not a very nice person. Also, this particular psychoanalyst, if you go and look them up, says some very scary things <laughs> that are obviously not true. However, that's not the point. She's using that particular source because it's a doctor of psychoanalysis. Those are the two things that she's hoping mm. you will latch on to. I'm citing this source who is an authority, therefore they must be true, is a form of argument. So how do you bust that one up? Cetris paribus, all other things being equal. If one were being genuine, the best way, yeah, you're laughing at my Latin again. If everything was genuine, like if this author cited that source mm. and you then came back with what you're supposed to come back with is that author is generally discredited. And here's the sources for my argument, my multiple sources, because if you're an academic, and I know you know this, especially as a scholar, if you're doing theoretical work, you have to cite multiple sources. You don't cite one person who says it. You cite several people who say it. Now, even that, when you cite multiple names, doesn't mean it's necessarily true because the quality of the source must reflect the quality of the knowledge. Right? <laughs> it's like you can't make an outlandish claim and say, Jeff says it's true, so it must be true. So normally in a genuine debate, one would discredit the source. The problem is the person is then going to ignore you at best, or ad hominem you at worst, because they'll say, oh, my favorite is they'll, they'll accuse you of the thing they're doing. So what they'll do is they'll say, oh, you're casting aspersions on this perfectly good and valid theorist because of your political leanings, ad hominem, ad hominem. <laughs> I'm going to do the thing that I'm saying you're doing and use a ad hominem perhaps, or the very phrase straw man argument is now used as a weapon to throw at someone. You'll say, here, I have a legitimate criticism of your position. Oh, you're straw manning me. And you're like, that's not what that phrase means. You're straw manning me with your straw man. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, that would be what you're doing right now. You just created a different target of your argument and you claim to have claimed victory. Straw manning, it means nothing, but it's really good to accuse your opponent of the very thing that you're doing in that moment. Because then when you point that out, they'll just do it to you again. Yeah. And if they have supporters and people who are willing to pile on you, that will happen then. They will say that your intent is not genuine, which of course is there. Is there the whole thing. So what you have to do in that case is not talk to the person who's making the argument. And this I'm going to again point to Julia Serrano. She doesn't actually attack the precepts themselves because there's no point. There's no point in attacking the person who's making the argument. They're not going to listen. They're going to come back at you with even worse and worse forms of argument until they make you look like you're the enemy and you'll get piled on. No. So what you do is you write an article for everyone else. You demonstrate how the argument was created and nothing else. And you don't go into the subject. There's no point. You say, this person has been broadly discredited, but they're being used for this specific reason and demonstrate how it's being used. That's how you respond to that person. Because ah. you don't actually engage. Because there's another thing in argumentative form basically called accepting the premise of the question. This is something that politicians love to do. You'll say to a politician something like, uh, you know how you started that war and there weren't actual weapons of mass destruction? Sorry, I'm just pulling this out of complete imagination. Oh, absolutely. You know um, how... That's never happened. How do you respond to that? Well, I don't really think weapons of mass destruction is what you mean it to mean. So let me discuss actually what it was that we were focusing on. So what they've done is they've not answered your question by not accepting the premise of your question. You can use that as a defense as well. I'm not going to fight with you about whether this person is right or wrong. 
I'm going to question the legitimacy of the question itself. Some of my media training taught me that. And it's one that I said I could never use in a trans environment because it's very much a yes and. And apparently it was one of Margaret Thatcher's favourite ways of sidestepping. Yes and something else. It's a very good technique that you learn in improvisation as well. It's an acting technique. And you just veer off into something else and off you go. And the other person is left sitting there going, I thought we were talking about this. And you're like, we're now over here. Do you think you're losing your argument with someone? What you can do is you can move the topic ever so slightly off the thing you're actually talking about onto a topic that you think you can win. Oh, that's the ice cream truck going by. I don't know if you can hear that. But uh, so, you know, that was an example of pure distraction, but it's like, (laughs) so that's another method of argumentative technique, which is particularly disingenuous. It can be, so yes, and my shoe size is a seven. Yeah, Yeah, which is like, oh, great. And so you have to be really intellectually on top of what technique they're using rather than what they're necessarily saying. Because in most debates, supposedly, and I use debates with inverted commas um, on this topic, the actual facts are relatively clear. There's not a lot of actual debate that one can have about trans identities or non-binary subjectivities. Any actual science that's done on this demonstrates pretty clearly that A, we exist, B, that we deserve rights, and C, that any rights that are afforded to us make us happier, healthier, better people. And we're much more likely to be happier if you're just nice to us. That's what the science says. Those are the facts. The people who are arguing against you, they know that. So they can't appeal to those facts. And they also can't change your mind about those facts because you know them. So because they're use, facts. How because you change facts. facts. Exactly. And you'll see these people often say something like, well, you know, there was this trans person once who killed someone in a horrible way. And that's just a fact. And facts don't care about your feelings. No, I know. That's why the facts that are real <laughs> are so important because they don't care about your feelings. They don't care about your transphobia. They don't care about your homophobia. They care only about being true. And the truth is this. Now, we can always point to the, and there's the bad apple theory, by the way, Mm -hmm. the old, well, trans people shouldn't be allowed to use toilets because there was once this one trans person who murdered someone. But you see it a lot. Particular communities are often asked to be responsible for their bad apples in a way that others aren't. For Mm -hmm. example, when there happens to be a terrorist attack by someone who maybe considers themselves Muslim, You'll see things in newspapers and online. The Muslim community should apologize or make sure that they distance themselves from this kind of behavior. So when that Christian dude did exactly the same thing, did you ask all Christians to do that too? No, of course. Of course they didn't. Of course they didn't. Because structures. Because structures. Yeah, because, oh, and and the the bad cop, bad apple theory. Mm. It's like, oh, you know, the fact that statistically it's proven that's, Black men are going to be killed much more often by police officers for comparatively to any other community. Well, no, but that's a bad apple. It's like, well, okay, well, how come the trans woman who was the murderer is emblematic of our entire (laughs) gender? And yet a police officer who is statistically more likely to kill someone isn't. Because homophobia, because structural inequalities. Actually, that might become one of my new ones because dot, 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 structural inequality but it's not really debatable. No, it's not. And the thing is, it's because it's not a debate. 
you know, we haven't even gone into post hoc or proctor hoc, which is the fun that I'd like to shout at people and then they get look at me confused. And it's perfect because it's both a philosophical argument and weird. So it covers both bases. Basically, uh, it, basic, if it is, it's because it, it was. After, therefore, because of. It's basically correlation does not mean causation because people will say trans people are more likely to be have mental health issues. That must mean being trans is a mental health issue after, therefore, because of. It's like, no, being trans and having mental health issues is likely to happen because you're in a culture that's extremely transphobic, which would cause mental health issues, correlation, not causation. That's the disingenuous argument. And you hear that one a lot. Mm. You know, you used to hear it about gay people as well. And that's the other thing. All of the arguments that are being recycled onto non-binary and trans people are the same arguments that we're using by gay people 20 years ago. I can recall. I was told at 17, 18, when I went to Auckland University, that I needed to watch out using the ladies' toilets in this particular block because lesbians would come and attack me. And there was part of me going, where exactly did you say? I need to know this exact place that I need to be aware of. I was not out at the time. I was a very closeted little child. But I was just like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that where I might find these people? Mm -hmm." Lesbians are Yeah. I hung out there, no attacks. I'm sorry to disappoint people. And I didn't find them for the longest time. But also, I wasn't out. So it's very hard to find people when you're not out, because if they do find you, you run away in the opposite direction. They are literally the same argument, Mm. and they follow the same structure. Section 28 in the UK was a law that banned the supposed, uh, how shall I put it, the promotion of gay lifestyles in schools. And just... Today, I was reading a story of a very, very similar law being suggested about trans people. The current Russian laws are... Yeah, they're all based on re- that too. Are, ...are based on the same thing of like mm. any mention of, of homosexuality is promoting it. And now they're using that to leverage reducing trans rights. There's a really interesting article in the Rolling Stone magazine, weirdly enough, and I was trying to find the exact link and I'm just in the future might have to help out, in which the author talks about how arguments against gay people specifically had to be pushed onto and focused on trans people. And it was done quite deliberately in the US. It was done because the particular evangelical Christian groups, right-wing groups that were very unhappy about gay marriage having been made legal, they had a series of conferences and this particular person went to them where she watched basically the argument being made that culture had moved on. They could no longer make the claims about gay people that they were making before and expect young people to join them. They were losing members because being gay was being more culturally accepted. They needed a new target, specifically a target that they could leverage and then make the claims they used to make and still fight against the things that they wanted to get changed. Specifically, it was gay marriage. They picked trans women going into toilets. And this particular discourse then moved over and went into what became the North Carolina bathroom bills. The bathroom bills eventually were turned over, but during that period, whilst those bathroom bills were being fought over, other bills slipped through, Mm. funnily enough, that did all the things that they wanted to do before in relation to trans people. And this was a very deliberate political move. And that particular movement, of course, has now moved over to the UK Mm -hmm. and now into Europe. But it's all based on a very deliberate use of the same discourse applied to a new target in order to make the same argument. 
And that's how disingenuous these debates are. So when someone says, I want to debate you, what they're actually saying is, I want to shout at you and convince anyone who happens to be watching. So I can see how that works on Twitter and on social media. So what's a good way of busting it? What do you do? What do you say? Do you just walk away? Do you go la, 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 la? Do you start ah, yes. dancing? Do you start <laughs> dancing to the, to the beat of their voice? Sometimes, yeah. It is, in fact, complicated, and that's why we're talking about it. But the truth, I think, is to always remember that it isn't what it purports to be, almost never. Now, there is that phrase, don't feed the trolls. I think that's generally a good thing. However, it can be very difficult not to engage. There may be an occasion when engaging has to happen. And usually the calculation might be this. I think, what does it do for me to engage? Who am I trying to convince? Who can I help by engaging? And it's very rarely the person you're actually talking to or the person who's trying to talk to you or shout at you. So that is the calculation. By knowing what it is they're doing, and what tools they're using to do it, you can have certain strategies. And by far, one of my most favorite that I've recently learned is when they go low, we go weird. I think it's absolutely perfect. Post a random image, perhaps of a muntjac, or engage in another way, or go and take what they wrote and put it somewhere else and answer there for an audience that might actually benefit. Or talk about how you feel the pain you have on a podcast, say, and then post that in a safe environment where you can talk to people who might be like-minded or might even be convinced, someone who doesn't know the issues in and out, but happens to be a friend of a friend. I wouldn't say it's like engaging a bully, but it's very close to that thing of the bully is often a performative. It's a performance of aggression. And if you bust it up with the weird, they just don't know what to do. So it's, it's very much just busting it up with weird. Maybe the one constant is break the script. Whatever you do, break the script. Don't enter into the narrative they're expecting. So whether it's, I'm going to respond with my emotional pain to someone else, or I'm going to respond with a muntjac picture. See, whereas I, I respond with cat gifts and puppy gifts because it's very hard to be hateful with cute. Almost always good. And another response, this is something that I know Laura Kate Dale, who I mention a lot, who is a trans author who talks about being trans and on the autism spectrum as well. She's recently about to release a book called Gender Euphoria in response to this, which is basically there are so many negative stories. There's so much going on. She wants to talk about those instances when gender is euphoric, trans experiences that are really positive. And I think that's another really interesting reaction because it breaks the script. Now, whether that reaction will necessarily have the impact that she hopes, I hope it does, but what it definitely does do is break the narrative. Mm. And because they're looking to create a narrative and because they're in the majority, they know that it is much easier to create their narrative than for you to break their narrative. So when you do break their narrative, you have the opportunity to affect real change because you're not entering the dominant discourse. You are changing the rules. So you don't engage. You break it or you fuck with it in a way that Jay does, which is truly delicious. And if you want some fun, I highly recommend you follow the account because you get pictures of kittens and dogs and shit. It's great. And one of the coolest things is over the years, I think I've managed to shutter a number of transphobic tags. People just had to go away from because they couldn't 
deal get with. Away. They couldn't get away from the kittens, and who doesn't? Yeah, kittens? you can't be hateful I when mean, you've got kittens. How? And this is part of it. None of it says these people are hateful. None of it yes. says you're wrong or engages in the argument. It just says here's kittens. And if you want other things, look up hashtag queer nuisance. Yes. Or hashtag queer without portfolio. I haven't made that hashtag yet. I will. No, you should. And if you want to help us make more fabulous things happen on the internet and elsewhere, go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash it is complicated, a one word. And if you want to give us feedback, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. We've got a centralized one. It is complicated uh, without the E because it's complicated to come up with a Twitter hashtag that you can use. So we came up with it is complicated. It's that simple. So what are we going to talk about next week, Josephine? Well, we're going to be debating everyone on Twitter, obviously. So, um, Will we have time to record? Well, there'll be kittens. (laughs) I I think that we definitely won't be talking about J.K. Rowling. Or shall we? I'd rather not. So actually, with that, let's talk about something wonderful and inclusive. The audible recording of Sandman with the marvellous Justin Bond, MX Justin Bond as Desire, and just the rest of the cast. The voices are so diverse. The storytelling is beautiful. And I realise that it is the comic audio described in a beautiful storytelling way. So don't read or listen to audiobooks from silly British authors who can't shut up. Read and or listen to audiobooks of fabulous British authors who should never ever shut up or leave us. Mm. Neil, we love your work. And Audible, should you wish to sponsor our podcast, which I know you do to nearly every other podcast, and we feel shunned that you haven't contacted us yet, please do, because then we can spend all of our time advertising you and this particular audio collection, which is Absolutely wonderful. Absolutely. Patreon.com slash it is complicated or one word because we're simple like that.